choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Hey everyone, this is your host Matthew Beers here at Forecast Roundtable. Today will be part three of our series on the 2020 Global Defense Spending Annual Snapshot. We'll be joined by Dan Darling, our Senior Analyst for Europe and Asia. So um, we have Europe. What are some of the perceived threats facing NATO and how are relations with the U.S. shaping European defense in general? Right. Well, Europe is still... Europe still utilizes NATO as its primary security pillar. Right. There is a push in Europe and has been going on for a long time to create a supplementary um, engine, basically a a European Union defense component that would tackle security threats where the North American countries aren't ready to intervene through NATO. Right. Um, stuff like migrants, uh, drug trafficking, uh, brush fire wars in Europe, uh, in, sorry, in Africa that affect Europe more directly than they do the U.S. or Canada. Yeah. Um, so the aforementioned brush fire wars in Africa, destabilization in the Middle East are definitely threats. Right. Um, there's internal threats from on the political side of things where right. uh, destabilization through nationalist or extremist groups um, that European leaders feel might splinter the European project. Right. They don't come those aren't seen as direct national security threats on a defense scale but they right. are security threats are, yeah. more directly it would be russia right and russia's destabilization activities right. along its former soviet western border and that's what that's what they're thinking of more so destabilization mm-hmm. than a direct military threat in terms of what everybody thinks, like World War III, they're thinking more about destabilizing the area. I think that would be the perception in Western Europe, meaning uh, France, Germany. Germany has um, important ties to Russia on the industrial and trade and particularly the energy Energy level. So for them, their relationship with Russia, which was even more tightly woven during the Cold War when Germany was two countries, um, is different. And Germany plays the more um, pacifist component of Of NATO. Uh, For France, France thinks first and foremost of its own national security needs, whether that's terrorism, internal security against terrorism, um, jihadism and brush fire wars in Africa, protecting its assets overseas. It has... Uh, um, colonies, so to speak. I shouldn't even call them colonies, but territories under its flag all over the globe. All over the globe, everywhere. So for France, it's it's also grandeur. Right. And so their focus when they is always on what their military can do um, unilaterally. But they certainly look to engage bilaterally with the UK, which is now a little bit um, trickier in light of Brexit. But um, with the UK, with Germany, through the European Union, through NATO, um, Britain is going through its own um, 
transformation yeah. when, with Boris Johnson's government now cemented in power, but Brexit uh, being finalized, yeah. if that ever happens. But it will. And um, I imagine they'd be part of this this European Union-based defense the, force, right? Yeah, um, that's trickier, but they do yeah. have um, joint... Um, rapid reaction components that they act on with uh, the Netherlands and the Nordics. Right. Um, but mostly right now, Britain is about to revisit their last strategic defense and security review right. um, with an eye on how much, how tight is that alliance with the U.S.? Right. What are all the threats facing the U.K. and its immediate territory? Right. And it's possessions overseas like France um, and how can they how can they recapitalize their military how much do they need to recapitalize it how do they tailor it for modern threats and how much money do they have right and if they there isn't enough money if if it isn't money that should be I don't like using the phrase thrown away but in the eyes of some politicians and strategic planners, thrown away on carriers and nuclear um, deterrent submarines, right. then how is it, where does it fit in the spectrum of, as you said, the EU, right. the European defense pillar, NATO, um, the the uh, relationship with the U.S.? Right. Um, so there's a lot going on there. And while Britain remains the largest defense investor in Europe, it's now tackling myriad threat perceptions, terrorism, cyber warfare, right. um, disinformation campaigns, right. uh, new technology races. This is what France is confronting as yeah. well. Um, you know, where do we, where do our R and D dollars or pounds or euros go? That's difficult for mm -hmm. for small countries like that. They can only right. invest so much, and right. and there's there's so many technologies out there. They they, mm -hmm. they can't invest in all of them. And and Europe always has the guns and butter debate. Yeah, you know it's it's slathered with butter, yeah. and uh, they cut all the guns for yeah. the most part. I don't mean <laughs> I know people say, oh, we have you know a hundred Rafales and two hundred Euro fighters, and there's no question uh, the tip of the spear stuff. They still have capability and capacity right. but how much to sustain a real uh, hard conflict yeah. and it's it's just not there the right. munition stocks are depleted soldiers are um on constant operational tempo whether in france yeah. or the uk yeah. the uk um how much of their uh, how much of their army is shrunk personnel wise how are recruiting levels germany right. struggles to recruit Naturally, it's a pacifist country, right. but even with um, campaigns, which is something relatively new to right. reunify Germany, right. um, recruitment campaigns, their, their recruitment numbers are down. So yeah. if you look at Europe as the, the traditional Western powers, Italy, Spain, France, Germany, UK, um, the trend is, is definitely going upwards in terms of spending, but not as fast as it is among the smaller second and third tier uh, nations of Europe, NATO Europe, uh, right. you, you know, your Poland's, your Finland's, you, your um, Romania's. It's that on the eastern 
part of Europe, the threat perceptions are Russia, Russia, Russia. Right. Um, first and foremost. Yeah, and so they definitely. view it differently. Yeah. So their investment levels have been just jumping, particularly since 2014. Right. Uh, yet, um, again, it's threat perceptions. Who can we rely on? Right. They're far more tied to the U.S., and they right. have less problem with the Trump administration right. saying, you guys aren't carrying your weight yeah. um, because they already meet symbolic metrics such as 2% of GDP invested towards defense. Yeah, annually. threats on their doorstep. And, mm-hmm. and, it's, you know, and the, 2% the of their level. GDP isn't a lot of money. Yeah. You know, in cases of, say, a Bulgaria, Romania, uh, an Estonia, right. um, those are smaller nations and yeah. they can buy less. Yeah. What they can do is stand up personnel and equip them with small arms and, and some you know, firepower and right. work within NATO right. um, to say, hey, look, at least we're we're trying to punch upwards and not free ride. Right. Uh, that perception is, is different from a U.S. vantage point as you look at your Belgiums, your Netherlands, your, your France, your Germany, yeah. um, Italy's, it, it, Portugal. Right. That's an unfair perception yeah. um, in, in many instances, and in uh, depending on how you're looking at it. But nonetheless, um, there is a different take between Washington and Brussels. Yeah. And so for Europe, going back to your original question, mm-hmm. it's also how to manage um, changing attitudes and perceptions in the U.S. Right. versus Europe. Yeah. So, um, so so you what was I'm, and I'm sorry I rambled. So what was the second part of your question? Did you? Um, well, we talked about how relations with the U.S. are, are shaping European oh, okay. defense yeah. in general. We mm-hmm. kind of talked mm-hmm. about that. Um, we, we talked about who some of the the biggest defense investors are in Europe. Uh, you're talking about how Finland and and Poland, mm-hmm. um, they're they're increasing. Some of the Eastern European countries are yep. really increasing their investments. Um, it's with, with the UK, they, it sounds like they kind of need to, um, but whether or not they're going to be able to do that right. is, is another question. They, yeah. How, I mean, they, they are now navigating new waters. They're yeah. old waters, but they're old, new yeah. waters and it's yeah. new for the current crop of politicians and mm-hmm. treasurers and ministers and economists. They're, right. they'd grown used to being integrated in the European Union with all its myriad, um, you know, rules and, and regulations. So this is new to them, and right. they have to navigate it. But they still have hard power. And between 2010, yeah. when they put out the David Cameron government, um, put out a SDSR, yeah. again, Strategic Defense Security Review, mm-hmm. uh, and now... They have a they they shed capabilities, but they have they're reconstituting them. Right. They either have reconstituted them, or within the next five years, almost all of them will come online. Okay, you know both carriers uh, with complements of F thirty five jump jets. Right. Um, you know the the P eight uh, maritime patrol aircraft. Right. They're they're rebuilding assets that they decided that they could take a brief respite from 
right. having in their arsenal. And they, we, farther down the line, we have some of these more advanced airborne platforms that are just starting to be in the works, right? Yeah, I mean, Tempest is the big one for the UK, yeah. and they're going to have Italy alongside, and right. most likely Sweden will... Other countries might jump on Yeah, that, well, on. they might buy. Yeah. You know, once once something manifests itself. But there's always going to be questions on, particularly with fighter programs, how yeah. far they can go yeah. um, with their limited resources and mm-hmm. economies of scale. Yeah. And that holds equally true for France and Germany's, yeah. um, you know, uh, ambitious uh, new generation fighter FCAS uh, initiative. Those, right, are, yeah. those are up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when you... the you tend to see more skepticism about the British initiative than the Franco-German one. Why? I don't know. Um, Because they're equally vulnerable to um, hiccups along the way. Well, yeah. I mean, especially with Germany involved. um, I mean, where where does Germany actually fit into the European defense environment for for that project and and maybe some others? I mean, Germany definitely wants to work with France on multiple um, joint programs right um you always are going to have those industrial uh protectionist kind of like how much share are we getting versus how much share are you getting of course yeah. um you know the french tend to overwhelm everybody when they take on these projects yeah and, and um you know naturally they're trying to angle for more than what was initially um Negotiated, right. and that's perfectly understandable. Germany will want equal share or as I'm much as they can sure. claw yeah. away. <laughs> so, you know, quite normal in in bilateral relationships. Right. Uh, Germany's Germany because it's a you know Merkel Angela Merkel is on her way out, and um, it's a coalition government, uh, center right left. Right. Um, it's a, it, and and they still have their debt break on that prevents excessive spending. Right, um, a debt break. Yeah, wow. uh, what, what a novel sev- idea! I know, I know. <laughs> Several countries in Europe do have them. Yeah, um, most of them. Some are long-standing. Um, others, like Germany's, were imposed after the financial crisis of right. 2008 09. this isn't just a symbolic gesture. This is an No, actual... these are actual numbers you can't go above. Oh, okay. Um, the European Union itself has a symbolic deficit ceiling of 3% of GDP. Right. Um, can't be breached two years in a row. Okay. Um, 60% debt to GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, ditto. Uh, but... You know, those are constant. They're 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 like NATO's two percent minimum yeah. investment standard. <laughs> they're they're more symbolic. While there are yeah. rules to them, they're breached constantly. Um, so how does that fit in with 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 the defense spending in in Germany, for instance? Well, it puts pressures in two different directions. Yeah. Um, but for Germany, which spends well below two percent, yeah. they can amplify their defense spending tremendously right. and still fall below two percent because they have the largest economy in Europe. Oh yeah. Um, and one of the largest in the world. But for Germany, it's how much can you absorb of greater spending in a short amount of time? Right. You know. They have to build up the capa- the capability to absorb 
um, and support new equipment to right. to um, draft tenders and and uh, oversee the tendering process right. on the procurement end of things. Um, make sure the money is spent wisely and prudently. Mm-hmm to make sure that recruitment goes upwards as they seek to expand the Bundeswehr. Right. Um, and it's not, it's not, is it popular there? I mean, does it have popular no, support? Or no. I imagine people aren't it's, too supportive of the military. It's a little more supportive now that politicians, at least Angela Merkel and um, successive defense ministers right. have, have broken the taboo by saying we have to face the fact we need to rearm. Right. More and more Germans are grudgingly accepting that right. this is the reality. And um, the the other side of the Trump equation is, is yeah. by his tirades, he's actually building momentum on the other side because not, not the way that Washington wants it, which yeah. is we can't trust Washington. Yeah. And there's always, you know, in corners of every country in Europe, particularly Germany, there's some anti-Americanism right. um, always laced into the mix, but um, or distrust of the U.S. and its motives. Um, I've, I've heard of that. That there's, but, there's a little bit of anti-Americanism, yes, but um, spread but, throughout the world. But uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, in Germany's case, it's grudging acceptance that the security status quo of yeah. of years ago can't hold up. Right. That said, when German soldiers are deployed, have the rules of engagement changed in operational theaters? Right. Those are going to be the longer term questions. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the 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 Bundeswehr is a hollowed out mess in every aspect. So it's going to take a while for it it's to going to take up to a, a long standard. time. They have upticked their spending tremendously in the last right. two years, and they. Tentatively plan to do so, yeah. continuing, but they always caution. And politics intrudes; elections right. intrude, politics intrude. Um, but they always caution um, about meeting metrics. You know, yeah. it's we'll try to meet one point five percent of GDP uh, for our defense budget yeah. by twenty twenty four. Now twenty twenty five, and I'm sure in a couple of years it'll be. 2030 the the goalposts always shift Mm -hmm. um and then they look for other aspects uh hey but we devote a lot of money to um you know um financial aid for poor countries to you know have better farms you know Mm -hmm. etc um and that that's you know perfectly justifiable under a long-term security picture but for what nato is which is a military alliance and a security alliance there there's got to be also a hard power component and the germans always kind of get shifty about that understandably Understandably. due to their history and and i think um they're a special exam a special case in nato and in europe but much like japan i'm sure the the sentiment is the same there Mm -hmm. um Um, in terms of uh, yeah building up their military to protect themselves against china Mm -hmm. or north Mm -hmm. korea so the threats the threats that are in the region their threat is more direct in their minds but nonetheless there is there's plenty of pacifist components in the Japanese political environment. Yeah. Um, so we can shift to Asia on that. Yeah, uh, we might we, as well shift to Asia if right. we're in Japan. So yeah. uh, um, Asian security environment is much more splintered 
than Europe, which is kind of fallen under those two pillars. There's the European right. Union, which is the economic and, and um, political side of uh, European unity, right. and then there's NATO. Right. Um, in in Asia, it's a mixed bag wherever you go. The, um, they're not as they're not as solidified, e- even no, even against uh, a potential you know a, a, a big threat, China. Well, has this forward posture in the area. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not even... They're aware of it, but they want to hedge between the U.S. and China. Right, and of course. And band together in terms of trade agreements. They recognize China's intentions right. um, in terms of their, you know, their... their uh, their foreign loans and their... Right. Um, infrastructure projects that they uh, pump money into towards vulnerable nations that they can then turn into, well, we're going to use that port for a naval base or that, you know, airport for an air force. Eventually. Airfield for our our assets. Um, That said, naturally, you know, when a China is expanding greatly, its military reach, its... Um, armaments, modernizing its armaments and their right. defense spending, which is a gr- it's always a gross estimate. China unleashes a, a, a top line figure every around March first, right? Um, but that number we all know is skewed because it leaves out all their R and D. I was going to say, and, is that uh, normally lower than it might actually be, or, yeah, is, or is it higher? The estimates are or? always about anywhere from thirty to. 60 billion USD higher than what China announces. Okay. Um, that's, well, that's significant. That's important. It, it's, to know. it is important. Yeah. And also, you know, from a regional perspective, that all that money is, is spent to carve out regional um, dominance right. in one area. Yeah. Whereas the US, which has by far the world's largest defense budget, yeah. is in all corners of the globe. Right. With multiple security obligations. So yeah. these are different animals. Yeah. Um, so China, as China spends more, the ricochet effect is Australia is going, hmm, you know, we need to get to that NATO, even though they're not a NATO member, that right. symbolic 2% measure. And um, they should reach that, I believe, this year. They've mm-hmm. been very close the last couple of years. The uh national conservative coalition has continued to uptick defense spending looking for uh more industrialization um indigenous capability on the national end of things particularly shipbuilding which completely makes sense in there um from their perspective as an island nation are are those quality i I know their engines aren't of the best quality um they still import their engines and their fighters are U.S. made, um, right? So they're they're looking at more of the shipbuilding end of things right, right, right. now. Um, but obviously, they want as much in, indigenous content as possible. Um, what everybody wants to do exactly. now. That's, that's very popular in Asia right now, right? Uh, very popular, and it inhibits somewhat, somewhat right. the arms in, trade um, because it means there's a lot of qualifications on tendering right you know how much 
who can uh, a foreign manufacturer, original equipment manufacturer, tie up with on the local end of things? Right. In some cases, they struggle to find anybody. Yeah. Um, India is a prime example. Huge defense budget, in in very um, ambitious indigenization goals. Right. And no closer to those than they were thirty years ago when they were spelled out. So yeah, they have a number of programs, but how far those are actually advancing? Um, yeah, um, it's they're a very complicated uh, Byzantine procurement. Yeah, we've had many discussions yes, on the yeah. uh, Byzantine so we'll, uh, procurement we'll, processes we'll, here. Yeah, let's put <laughs> India aside for the moment. But um, going back, uh, it, it, spending is obviously driven by military modernization programs at the national level, recapitalization. Mm -hmm. um, But it's all going upward because of China. Um, You have countries like Thailand, uh, the Philippines, Malaysia. Um, If they're local insurgencies, then they have their own internal concerns. So Mm -hmm. spending in those countries isn't naturally um a derivative of chinese spending right it's their own internal security right um, so those are the two factors the internal security but mm-hmm. then the, the right. chinese presence but um you are also looking at countries whether it's uh the philippines or malaysia or indonesia um that are spending more because they know they now have an environment, strategic environment that's changing underfoot due yeah. to China's um, claims, nine dash claims on the South China Sea region, right. um, their aggressive aggressive posture all across the um, Indo-Pacific region. Yeah. And they are now in that position where they go, well, we need more airborne assets, more surveillance assets, more uh, obviously naval. So that's where the uh, the focus of spending is really on the capitalization end in Southeast Asia. I know the ISR, the the airborne ISR has Mm -hmm. for a while now has been booming over there. Yeah, uh, force multipliers um, naturally are going to be... something that's of great emphasis for all these countries. Yeah. Singapore always ha- has had a very robust and um, strong, although micro, military, and they're going to keep it that way. Yeah. Uh, but the other countries are now playing catch-up after years of just taking U.S. security blanket for granted. China right. has upset that equation in the last 20 to 25 years, and right. that's not... We see no, obviously no change in that. If anything, it's only right. going to intensify. When you say naval assets, um, I mean obviously not all the countries there can can have battleships. We're not they, talking they heavy. Boats. Yeah, we're not talking frigates necessarily. Right. But we are talking assets. smaller assets. Okay. And you know, in countries like the Philippines, they're still they have many islands, so yeah. it's still ship to shore, right. amphibious, but. Offshore patrol vessels, yeah. uh, maritime patrol aircraft, mm-hmm. um, air sea, everywhere yeah. you look. And uh, I think a country like Vietnam probably would invest more on the... They have Russian submarines, mm-hmm. um, but they would be a country, which, by the way, is very secretive about their defense spending, but they would be a country that would invest more on capital ships as economies... 
and financials uh, make that feasible. Right. So you have these smaller countries, but then we have, um, and you mentioned it uh, in in your part of the um, of the paper you just wrote mm-hmm. that um, the quad. Mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is going to be very influential in that so area. So the quad is the U.S., um, India, Australia, and Japan. It's right. a forum. There is no military alliance. Right. It's so this a, is a forum. It's a forum. It, it's it's maritime protection, right. and that's trade. Okay. Um, India is always towed a very fine line of keeping a neutral foreign policy. They it don't it like to. Way, yeah. They don't like to strategically align. Right. Um, and if anything, during the Cold War, they were more aligned towards the Soviet Union. Right. Um, Where they get a lot of their military mm-hmm. equipment from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, under uh, Narendra Modi, they've aligned a little. I mean, the, the process of better, warmer relations with the U.S. has been ongoing since the Clinton administration. Right. But it's gathered steam and. Um, India being in the quad uh, is not so, it's not as um, a dreamy an aspect as it was, okay. you know, an idea of 10 years ago. Now yeah. it's, it's at least it's a um, realistic notion. Um, but the quad is uneasy. Right. You know, Australia, again, these, you don't want to make it, China isn't throwing a fit about the quad. Right. Um, yet, uh, because they don't see it as uh, amounting to much. So, right. um, but all those countries want to tow cautiously to not upset China. But makes sense. Japan would probably be the um, one that would be the most um, uh, probably the most enthusiastic about the idea of the quad. Right. Um, because that threat's immediately on their. Uh, on their doorstep. And South Korea is left out of the... the South Korea's concern is naturally North Korea. Right. Um, And it has enough spats going on with Japan. Right. Um, The Quad is more focused on the Indo-Pak, which goes South China Sea into the Indian Ocean. Okay. Um, So South Korea's reach and scope aren't... Obviously, they want... Obviously, they want trade sea lines of communication and trade routes kept right. open. Everybody yeah. across the globe wants that. Yeah. Um, but so, they're, they're not really in that. But they're area. not insuring it right. to the degree, no one is, to the gr- degree the United States Navy is, which is the sole police um, constable of So where, where does trade. South Korea fit in terms of the Asian defense spending among the big big spenders they're uh they're up near the very top they are. and they continue to grow at about five percent per annum somewhere in that vicinity depending on inflation and and um uh, and that's a good percentage but they're they have a robust defense industrial base yeah. that continues to gain um technologically and right. already has great industrial scope right um they without doubt, have a strong military, right. um, they would probably be among the top three or four yeah. spending nations in, in Asia. Yeah. You have Japan, India, China's at the top, and then right. um, Australia and Taiwan. Right. Taiwan uh, is doing their own indigenization push because 
they can't rely on foreign suppliers. The, right. the Trump administration's been actually um, the most um, friendly towards their requests for um, military assets through the right. foreign military sales yeah. program. But that's not to say that past administrations haven't been willing to give um, logistical support, weaponry, et cetera. But it's always been where it wouldn't upset China. Whereas yeah, the Trump the next administ- administration might be different. This administration's yeah. a, li- a more willing to confront China, um, right? Because that's the number one threat for the U.S. and, and for yeah. um, U.S. interests in that region. Mm-hmm. Um, if if China can flip that script and, and say the U.S. isn't coming to your rescue, how do these countries align themselves right. well, going forward? For the defense industry, China is is leading the way and in, in, in creating the demand well, for all this, uh, this military investment. Yeah, and obviously, you know, the Asia-Pacific region is after North America, by dint of the U.S. defense budget, the right. Asia-Pacific region is the largest defense-spending region in the world and right. growing. So um, there's a unlike, lot of opportunities there, not not just in the big countries, but in some of these, these smaller there's, countries, there's, too. There's opportunity across the board right. because local capabilities on the industrial level are not up to, minus your Japan, your... your um, South Korea, right. they're just not up to what Western suppliers can provide yeah. uh, technologically. And they aren't going to buy arms with the exception of, you know, your Myanmar, your Cambodia, and maybe your Bangladesh. They're not going to buy arms from China. Right. So they're left with who can supply us. And in some instances, it might be Japan going yeah. forward. It might be South Korea. Um you know there is industrial capability on small levels and and on like for instance electronics in Singapore is right. very good yeah. um but for what these countries are looking for on large platforms um they're still looking towards your your Europe your US and even your Russia as yeah. suppliers so that okay. won't change the threat perceptions um are only growing right. uh, between North Korea, um, which drives Japanese and South Korean um, missile defense programs and air surveillance right. and, and first strike capabilities, right. um, and obviously China. Those, those are the things that are really um, focusing strategic planners in the Scary region. Scary stuff, but good for business. And... Um it, it's good for business, and, and while you always caution to say, you know, financials in, impede upon some goals such as, in the instance of Malaysia, right. capitalization programs stall, ambitions are bigger on paper than what they are in treasury allocations. Right. Um, you, you have to, the one caution is the national economies and what right. goes on in, in terms of the global um, environment. How is but, that coming into play now, actually, the global environment? Well, we're China's, about China's economy is obviously slowed, and we yeah. you never know what really is GDP growth there, kind of like the right. old Soviet Union. Is um, it already slowing down there? Is, it's slowing in China, it but it, defense spending growth hasn't slowed. Okay. So, so maybe that is a stimulant 
mm-hmm. from the from the um, Communist Party vantage point. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't right. think anybody knows. Um, but nonetheless, it's defense spending is growing. It's not going to slow there. Okay, so not necessarily tied to a global recession. So much. it's. It, Chinese spending used to track very close to economic spending. Right. Um, it only decoupled, and it, it hasn't decoupled that much from economic growth in the last couple of years, but I okay. would say only recently it's it's continued to grow while the economy, while economic expansion has slowed. Okay. So it's a little, but again, they're buying, they're they're investing in themselves. So it's a right. different picture than say India where they're buying foreign sourced assets, they're waiting forever for locally yeah. sourced assets. Um they they are using procurement dollars in the capitalization budget to pay off past purchases. Right. It's a very different animal. So yeah. the Indian budget is the trickiest one because while they have a large standing army right. they're they're not as well resourced and yeah. they might have Boeing helicopters for you know the Apaches and and Chinooks but they right. they're also short in terms of fighter capacity for so what they their goals are affected by an economic recession yeah and yeah. and defense growth is has Continued in India, right. but when inflation eats into it and yeah. purchasing power parity, mm-hmm. it's just not as robust as what China has. And important I, factors to take into I would account. say Japan, Australia, and China have been really the strong, naturally they're among the largest, but those right. have been the strongest growth markets, and, and Japan's growth yeah. um, is always circumscribed by you know, I mean, the the current Shinzo Abe's administration, he's a conservative yeah. prime minister of Japan, right. since he got into office in December 2012, the budget has grown every single year. Part of right. that is, you know, an economic stimulus plan, and part of that is um, just the need to, to bolster local industry and recapitalize the... the self-defense forces of Japan. Yeah. Um, but while they're growing and their budget is big because they spend 1% of GDP on their military and they have one mm-hmm. of the world's four largest economies, yeah. um, their annual budgetary growth is still rather small. Oh, it's yeah. about yeah. 1% to maximum of 3%, right. depending on the year. Yeah. Um, China, Australia, Australia has the economic punch to right. to uh, back up its you know defense spending goals. Right. Um, but they're also prudent for the most part about yeah. how they budget. Well, this year, this next couple of years will be tough. If they keep battling these uh, fires out there. They got to be spending a lot of money on those. They're, yeah, right? that's an uh, internal security measure. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. the New Zealand Defense Forces were over there helping them battle those fires. So yeah. Um, hey, if you're selling uh, firefighting aircraft, yeah, there's, there's, there's go to Australia. Yeah, <laughs> and there's Southern Europe needs it too. Yeah, and so does Europe. Western United Western States. Western United States, Canada. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's those are key assets for in in that regard, of course. Yeah, but yeah, market. Asia is um, Asia is the area to watch on the global 
map in terms of defense. Because think about U.S. defense spending and restocking munitions, Mm -hmm. improving maintenance levels for the for the naval ships and getting new assets for firepower, hypersonics, cyber warfare. You know, artificial intelligence. That eye is is much on. It's obviously some of that's Russia. Some of that is is myriad other threats, but that eye is on China. So this yeah. is driving quite a bit of the, the global market. Right. And and you write about this in the Defense uh, Security Monitor. Uh, Dan writes articles all the time. Um, a lot of people in the, uh, the International Military Markets Group are writing articles on there. So not just on this podcast, but if anybody listening wants to read about more interesting things in the international military market, um, I go to the Defense Security Monitor and uh, you'll, you'll catch Dan there. Um, of course, if you want more personalized information, give Dan a call. Um, or but you reach, have to be a client. Yeah. Well, <laughs> re- you always can reach out to us. And if we have listeners that are in the industry, in um, foreign policy, uh, in um, basically their, their defense analysts or they, they're, they're in media, yeah. always reach out to us. We always be happy to talk to you and, and even do one of our podcast episodes. We'd love to do a you. podcast with, with people in the industry. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in part three of Forecast Roundtable's 2020 Defense Spending Annual Snapshot. If you've gotten through part one, part two, and part three, get ready for more. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Part four coming up next time with Tom Dolzel our Latin American analyst. 